What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner. Today, we have a few stories to cover. We're going to cover a, kind of a preview to CPI tomorrow, as well as the Binance Paxos story that's kind of breaking this morning. Going to go over a couple articles, one for each of those stories. Today is Monday, so I'm writing the Fundamentals Report. That's the free newsletter that comes out. Uh, so if you're listening to this on YouTube or Twitter, and you're not subscribed, jump over to BitcoinandMarkets.com and just subscribe to the free tier to get that newsletter. It's full, packed full of uh, useful information, covers all the main topics of the week for Bitcoin. Um, also, we'll be going over price here a little bit later, and I have a whole price section on the website that is Premium Market Pro. So if you guys want to get ahead of the curve, and you know I've been very accurate on a lot of my forecasting, both in Bitcoin specifically for price, but also trends in general. So what, you know, is oil going to $300 a barrel? No, it's not going to $300 a barrel. What are some other things? How about is CPI transitory? Is it not? Well, I've been calling it pretty much correct the whole time. I mean, I've been off obviously by months, but not by direction, not by the trends. So the trends that I've been calling have been very accurate. So if you want some insight in things like that, as well as some actionable forecasts, you can go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash pro 50 to get 50% off the first month of the market pro tier. Okay. Let's jump right into CPI. Hey, what's up, guys? Breaking in on the edit. Of course, CPI did drop already as I'm putting this out on the podcast feed. We had a 0.5% in January, which was slightly elevated, but I'm going to leave most of this section in here from the live stream just so you can see what I talk about and what I'm thinking in days leading up to CPI. Also, join me on the live streams. Of course, you can join me on YouTube, the channel is BTC Market Update, uh, or on Twitter at Ansel Lindner. I live stream on Twitter as well. And finally, Telegram is the best place for audio quality uh, and stuff like that. You can check out t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. Okay, let's get back into it. So CPI is coming out tomorrow. It's a highly anticipated CPI because we've had... Over the last six months, we've had slowing CPI and Cato Institute had a great, I'm going to bring this up because this was a very important chart. I think this was an article from Cato that I saw this morning. I think it's important that some people are starting to say this exact same thing that I have been saying. Okay. Uh, The headline here is inflation fell to 1.9% in the second half of 2022 from 107 in the first half. That's huge. And remember, June alone was something like 18, 20% annualized. And what happened in July? It hit zero. That was the brick wall that I've been talking about for so long. Um, but even Cato now is starting to pick up on this. And if we scroll down, there is this fantastic chart. Let me make sure this is coming through. Yeah. So you can see that the first half of, and I put this in Telegram, guys, so you guys you can see what I'm talking about. Uh, the first half of 2022 is really high CPI. 
And even when they say CPI less shelter, because remember, shelter is a lagging indicator, right? So it will, on the way up, uh, if you take shelter out, CPI will be higher. And on the way down, if you take CPI out, CPI will be lower. And it also is weird that um, shelter is part of core. So that's an important thing to remember as well. It is probably the least volatile component of the CPI. But anyway, uh, this is an interesting chart. It shows that all this quote-unquote inflation, all the CPI price rises were pretty much centered in the first half of 2022. The last half of 2022, if you, even if you take out shelter, I mean, it's negative in, in four out of the six months if you take out shelter. So what is it going to be? A lot of people in January are expecting a return of inflation quote unquote inflation. You always have to say quote unquote, because um, prices are not, price rises are not inflation. You know, prices rise for many reasons. Some of those reasons can be deflationary. And I even detailed those out this morning. Let me go to Telegram here. Go to something that I wrote. I think I wrote it. Yeah, here we go. Uh, So Dave S., we're getting a lot of interaction on the Telegram, and I'm loving it, guys. It's pretty awesome. Um, but anyway, he he asked if this validates my thesis of crashing CPI. Um, oh, wait. We, we have to get to that article first. So let me get to that article first. So that is that. Um, here is the one we're kind of question, uh, talking about. January CPI report could be a massive shock to the market. And let me read through this a little bit, and then we'll get back to what we said over on Telegram. So uh, the summary is CPI is expected to see a, a big jump in January month over month. And remember, that's that's what I was saying is that the last half of 2022 was low CPI. And now January, people are expecting there to be a jump, re-acceleration, if you will, of CPI back up to high levels. So this is kind of a pivotal month, and I'm excited to see what comes out tomorrow morning. I should be live streaming at 8.30. Uh, If all goes to plan, I will be live at 8.30 to do the um, live drop of CPI, so be ready for that. Okay, next point. Recent revisions showed that inflation was running hotter than what was previously thought. And we'll dig into those because he talks about them a little bit lower. Oh, by the way, this is via... Seeking Alpha. Inflation swaps bonds options suggest that CPI could come in hotter than expected. The upcoming February 14th CPI report is poised to deliver a significant blow to the equity market. Constant bearish FUD, guys. Constant bearish FUD. Okay, CPI has been very high, much higher than it was over the last few months. And the market is not down all that far. I know you guys can't see this, but I'm just going to go measure out real quick from the top. From the top, the market is down 14%, 14% with all of those highs in CPI. So again, this is just bearish FUD, this first sentence. The upcoming February 14th consumer price index report is poised to deliver a significant blow to the equity market. If we see a minor reacceleration, I mean, yeah, maybe 5% sell-off maximum. I don't, I don't think it's really going to dent what we're seeing in stocks, at least, um, or Bitcoin. 
Okay, continuing. The market has been on a meteoric rise since the start of 2023, fueled by dreams of falling inflation and the possibility of interest rate cuts from the Federal Reserve. However, well, I mean, inflation has fallen. It's not falling inflation. Inflation has fallen back to post-GFC normal, roughly one to two to two and a half percent over the last six months. And so it's not dreams of falling inflation. It The inflation has fallen, all right? And interest rate cuts by the Federal Reserve, the, in, the Federal Reserve has pivoted. Anyway, however, if the report reveals the expected change in trend from the previous couple of months of disinflation, it could shatter market hopes and cause a significant market reversal. The report could mark a turning point in the equity market's expectations for inflation and interest rates with far-reaching implications. Analysts predict that the headline CPI will increase by 0.5% month over month. All right, I see on the Cleveland Fed, they're saying 0.65%, 0.65%. That's a pretty big difference. All right. Meanwhile, core CPI is expected to rise by 0.4% month over month and 5.7% year over year. The year over year headline CPI is forecast to decline from 65 while core drops from 5.7. However, the headline CPI is anticipated to jump month over month from the recently revised increase of 0.1% in December, while core CPI is expected to be flat at 0.4%. Okay, this is not very good writing. He's kind of disjointed. Um, They have revised up December, and I haven't seen the exact percentage, but, uh, you know, in December, it was supposed to be a, a negative 0.1%. And that wasn't exactly 0. It was like negative 0.07 or something. And now it's been revised to positive 0.1%. But what percentage? That's rounded, right? It's rounded to the nearest tenth of a percent. So it could have only increased by, say, 0.1, roughly. And it would have been rounded completely differently. So um, I haven't I haven't di- dove into those numbers yet. But anyway, um, the recent revision of the CPI has also reweighted the various components leading to changes in their relative importance. For example, energy, which had provided a meaningful deflationary impulse in the second half of 2022, will see its weight drop to 6.92% from 7.86%. So the um, energy is decreasing in weight by a percent from almost eight to around 7%. Meanwhile, the importance of shelter has risen significantly to 34% from 32%. So about one and a half percent more weight for shelter. And again, that's important because shelter is a lagging indicator here. While used cars and trucks have dropped to 2.6% from 3.6% weighting. These changes in weighting could result in the CPI running hotter to start the year. And that's funny because when these changes first were announced, or when these changes first started started being talked about um, after December came out, so around... January, second week of January, people start talking about, oh, next month's CPI is going to have all these different weightings and things. And I wasn't clued in on, on exactly all of these different components and how their weights will change. But I did know that they were 
going from a two-year average spending to a one-year average spending, which has the promise to really drop CPI, actually. Because if you think about spending habits in 2021 versus 2020, you know, you cut 2020 off and you're just looking at 2021, then you're going to have a lot different spending habits than you are in both of those years to put together. Anyways, um, that is a factor to lower CPI. And now some of these factors, specifically the shelter component, which I find interesting because it's so slow. And this will make the year-on-year CPI move even slower than it already does. So, you know, people are hung up on the year-over-year number, and they call it disinflation. When we have like a negative print month-over-month, and people are calling it disinflation, which disinflation means a slowing in the rate of inflation. Um, But a negative print is not a slowing in the rate of inflation. It's actual deflation, right? It's or it should be, if you're using one-to-one language, it would be called deflation, um, but it is absolute prices falling when you have a negative month-over-month print. It's not disinflation. So if you are increasing the shelter component, you're just slowing down year-over-year year even more, which is weird. It also kind of puts it more in line with core, which we'll talk about here in a second. So uh, these changes in weighting could result in the CPI running hotter. Okay, we read that. The revised data suggests that inflation was weaker in last year's first half compared to the second half. All right. The disinflationary impulse that the equity market was focused on not as was not as strong as initially thought and was nearly non-existent. Okay. People... this puts way too much weight on people's rationality and people looking at specific data and knowing how to interpret that data just because like CPI prints marginally lower or marginally higher doesn't really affect the market because what is CPI? A CPI is, is not a CPI is a product of the market and it's also highly delayed. So it tells you what's, what's been happening, you know, six months in, or sorry, six weeks in the past. So it's delayed and it's a derivative of market behavior. Market behavior is not necessarily a derivative of CPI. So these people have it backwards that they're interpreting the movement in stocks based on the movement of CPI. (laughs) They should, it's exactly opposite. They should base the move of CPI on the move of the market. Now, the reason why they don't do that is because they're not smart enough to like have a working thesis for what is making the market move. It's much easier to just say, oh, the Fed's doing it. Oh, CPI, look at CPI. That's what's doing it. They're not smart enough to dive down and be like, look, you know, the trend in the macro space is this. The geopolitical situation is this. That means that we should trend this way. And Lo and behold, the markets are trending that way, but they, they don't do that. They just, they go to the surface level. What does the priest tell me? Well, the priest gets up there at, after every FOMC meeting, it's not even the priest. He's the Pope, right? Powell is the Pope and he gets up there and tells you how it is. And then the market reacts to what the Pope is saying. That's not how it works. Okay. The economy is 
working the way the economy is going to work and CPI is telling us what's going on. So anyway, um, higher prices and changing importance. Additionally, January saw significant gains in some factors declining in the year's second half, such as used autos and gasoline. The Mannheim used auto index rose 2.5% in January, which could indicate that the actual CPI used vehicle index will also rise in coming months. The Mannheim used auto value typically leads the actual CPI used vehicle index by one to two months. However, the positive impact of these gains is likely to be limited due to their lowering weight in revised CPI. I, I just, yeah, I don't really care too much about used autos. Um, I think they're a great example of transitory if you just look at them. Meanwhile, the rise in gasoline prices should also provide a positive boost in CPI in January, despite weighting of gasoline falling 3.17% from 3.95%. Okay, let's take a look real quick at gasoline futures. Every time that gasoline is going to be going up, these guys are going to be like, oh my God, it's going to be huge for the CPI. <laughs> CPI is going to reaccelerate. And then it goes back down again. And then up and then down. And it's the same way with a lot of these people that are inflationistas. They never acknowledge any sort of downward movement in price. Like you can look at the gold price. Let's just do that. You can see this horizontal line right here is the 2011 high, $1,920. And we're below that. We're at 1850 And when did we hit that 1920 Back in 2011 people. And we're below that. Yeah, we've had a few little short periods peaking out above that. But the majority of the time, you know, there's only been a, a few weeks we've been above that 2011 high and now we're back below it. Like if there was actual money printing, if inflation was going to reaccelerate, we would see it in many different things, not just CPI. Remember, CPI is telling us what's going on in the market. Um, okay, that's enough of that. Let's go back to this Story. Additionally, health insurance, which has been a, a deflationary force on the CPI since October, reset, had its weight lowered, which means that the dif disinflationary force is likely to be smaller in the January report. For example, in the October report, health insurance had a weight of 0.92% and fell by 4%, negative negatively impacting prices 0 0.37, 0 0.0%. 37%. The same impact with the new weighting uh, would be 0.031%. Oh my God. That is, that is so, so horrible guys. Health insurance is going to really change CPI. So, so drastically pricing in inflation, uh, pricing in higher inflation, the January CPI report will be tricky to interpret due to weight changes and recent gains in some inflationary factors. If the trend of higher than expected CPI continues, it could pose a considerable risk. Trends in the inflation swap market have generally been on the rise with the January year-over-year -year increase in swaps rising from a low of 5.88% on January 10th to 6.2% on February 9th which is in line with analyst consensus estimates for the January report. In addition, pricing the one-month zero-coupon inflation swap market on Friday continued to show rising inflation expectations for January. 
Based on my current calculations, the pricing pricing suggests that the market forecast the CPI to rise by 6.22% in January year over year. This is just confused language. CPI to rise by 6.2% in January year over year. He means the year over year number in January to be 6.22. So now th- this confusion in language makes me think his, think his calculations are all wrong. A continuation of the trend towards higher inflation readings and may even indicate the market is actually thinking actual headline inflation could come in above consensus estimates. Okay, enough of this. So um, actually, let me go back and read this. So again, Dave S. said, when I posted that story, he's like, hey, does this invalidate your thesis in crashing CPI? And I say, the article tries to build a rationale for higher CPI for longer. The question is, where is the money to support these higher prices? Right now, we have falling demand for just about everything as inventories are high and credit expansion is crashing. And we read the Sluice report. We read through that both on FedWatch and here on this show. It's showing that demand is falling for loans and credit standards or lending standards are tightening. So the credit is slowing. Credit is slowing. Where is the money going to come from to support these higher prices? If you don't have continued expansion of credit, you cannot support higher prices. They will come back down. There is no self-perpetuating cycle. You know, they, they say the, the price wage spiral. Higher prices will lead to higher wages, which can support higher prices and that could support higher wages. And you have a cycle, an inflationary cycle. But the thing right now is you can't pay people more. There have been only marginal gains in wages. You have to have credit expansion in order to service the higher amounts of debt and have a growing economy to support higher prices. It just, it's, you know, if you have a hundred units of money chasing a hundred goods or a hundred units of a good, and then you, so the price is $1 per good. Well, if you put the price up to $2, but you don't increase the amount of money you can buy 50% of the stuff, right? That means you only sell 50 units instead of 100 units. So there's nothing to support these higher prices. I hope that makes, I hope I'm making sense, but that, that's what I would say. Okay, last thing I'll say is that the counterintuitively prices can go up during deflation. Deflation is a shrinking of the money supply. In this case, net credit. If present lending slows relative to repayment, that can net out to being negative. However, slowing lending also means likely a decrease in production, supply, and spending, demand. What happens to prices in that situation? So you have both falling supply and you have falling demand. It's a race to the bottom. We don't know what the answer is. You know, like if you say, okay, if you have supply and demand and you hold demand equal and you raise supply, well, then you can say, okay, prices will go down. As long as you're holding one of them constant, you can say what's going to happen to price or if they move in opposite directions. So you could say supply goes down and demand goes up. Well, then 
you know, prices are going to rise. You can say that for sure. But if they are both falling, if supply is falling and demand is falling, we can't necessarily say what's going to happen to price. It depends which one's falling faster. All right, I continue. The COVID thing was so bad uh, supply-wise because in the above scenario, supply was disproportionately affected. Supply fell faster than demand, especially if you factor in STEMI checks. Supply fell faster because of globalization and complexity in supply chains. Piece that out a little bit or to expand on that. So supply fell faster because of globalization and complexity in supply chains. Everything was so fragile. You know, we were extended. We've, we had ex- over the last 30 years or so, we had extended these supply chains to absurd levels of complexity, just in time inventory, all of this stuff. And what happened? It broke down. So in that scenario, supply was dependent on this highly fragile system. So supply fell a lot faster than demand fell, especially with STEMI checks. So we had an increase in prices. Um, we will naturally go away from that. Some conscious planning will be involved, obviously. But our natural incentives are to make supply less sensitive to shocks. And we've seen that with a decrease in the complexity of supply chains, reshoring, friendshoring, um, also inventories being boosted up. There was this uh, factor of people ordering double, triple what they needed because gone are the days of just-in-time inventory to to a high degree, at least, uh, for international supply chains. I think those days are mostly behind us for now. We can't have, we can't just say, you know, depend on suppliers out of China to follow an exact time scale and make sure we get it just in time to do the next part of the process of manufacturing it or whatever, finishing it up and sending it out to retail. We can't rely on that anymore. So just in time inventory is pretty much gone as it, as it involves international supply chains. So yes, we will naturally go away from that. And that is a natural thing. Of course, people thought I, I need, I can't trust this. I need to order three or four months worth of stuff right now. So they're consciously doing it. But they don't understand that that is what the entire trend is going to be. Like it's a, the trend is all of these individuals naturally responding to their personal incentives. So, yes, it's conscious on the individual level, but it's not conscious on a broad based spectrum. You know, it's just the market moving in this direction. So it's going to do that. It's going to get supply is going to get less sensitive to shocks. So now how that nets out in prices. If supply, you know, we are consciously going away from deglobalization, shortening supply chains, that is more expensive. That's a more expensive way to produce, right? The reason why we offshored, the reason why we had 15 different steps in making a simple product and shipping it around the world multiple times is to save pennies, to make it cheaper. Well, now if we're not doing that, we're not going to be saving those pennies, so prices will go up. So how do prices react when you say the the entire structure of the global economy is shifting under our feet? What should we expect from prices? Well, I, I don't know, and we can't say for sure, but I think that the over the long term, I'm talking 
maybe five, 10 years, we're going to see higher prices in general. Now, is that a good thing? Is that inflation? No, it's not money printing. We've made a conscious decision to strengthen our supply. And that's okay. That means we're not going to buy as many cheap widgets. We're not going to have all the little doodads and waste money on this and that. People are going to be conscious of their spending. And people are going to be conscious of their social decisions. You know, they're not going to make decisions that don't make them money or that harm their economic prospects. Like a bunch of wokeism or Marxism, that doesn't become profitable when you have to pinch pennies. So, yeah, prices will likely increase, but that also is going to lead to a lot of other little things that are going to combine into a certain direction for the economy. Anyway, I'm spending a long time on this. Um, so CPI, I still expect it to come in lower than forecasts. I'll be looking at it more closely today and tomorrow. So, yeah, I still expect CPI. So all of this CPI talk, let's just sum it up to this, is I expect it to be lower than expected but probably higher than the last few months. Uh, so I could see a rate of a reading come in, you know, 0.3, 0.4. I wouldn't be surprised. I would be surprised if it was up at 0.6. That would be a little bit high for my taste, but um, we'll see. There's multiple changes. Some changes are pushing the CPI down. Some are pushing it up. Uh, so we will see how that nets out tomorrow. All right, let's get on to the next story. So this one is coming out of Bitcoin and it is Binance stablecoin backer ordered to stop issuing token. Uh, I shared this on Telegram so you guys can see that. Let me just stop here for a second because I've noticed I put out all these on podcast form and I don't mention this often enough, but uh, guys on the podcast, I'm doing these live on YouTube and Telegram and Twitter. And so if I'm talking about, if you know, making comments about, hey, I just posted that to Twitter or, uh, you know, to Telegram, whatever, that's because I'm, I'm actually in the process of doing that. Um, and if you're watching this on YouTube later, so that it, YouTube also comes out with a podcast version of this live stream. Uh, just know that <laughs> when I'm talking about, hey, what's on the chart here on the screen well, you can't see that. It's just a thumbnail that you're stuck with, but um, you can go to the associated post. All of these episodes have associated posts. I think this one will be uh, episode 317, if I'm not mistaken. So check out bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash E317, and you'll find the links and the charts if I'm talking about them or whatever. So, okay, um, let's get into this. Binance stablecoin backer ordered to stop issuing token. And this just came out this morning in Reuters. So it's a pretty big story. Let's read. New York's chief financial regulator has ordered Paxos, the company behind the stablecoin of major crypto exchange Binance, to stop issuing the token. Paxos and the regulator said in separate statements on Monday, the Binance USD stablecoin, one of the world's biggest, is issued and redeemed by New York-based Paxos Trust Company, both of which are regulated by the New York Department of Financial Services. I didn't know that it was issued by Paxos. That's interesting. Um, the token, which is designed to keep a steady value and is widely used by crypto traders at Binance, is backed by reserves of ordinary cash and U U.S. treasuries based on Paxos' website. 
Now I have gone to Tether's website, but I've never gone to Paxos website because I didn't know that they were behind Binance coin. The NYDFS said in a statement that it ordered Paxos to stop minting Binance USD, quote, as a result of several unresolved issues related to Paxos oversight of its relationship with Binance through Paxos issued BUSD, end quote. The regulator's statement did not give any details of what those issues were. Binance CEO Zhao, CZ, wrote in a series of tweets earlier on Monday that the regulator's decision meant that Binance USD market cap will only decrease over time, adding that Paxos's assured Binance the funds were completely covered by Paxos bank reserves. Yes, but if they're stopping them from minting, they could also stop them from settling that money. I don't know, but it's definitely an attack vector for Paxos to be the holder of this and being located in New York. I don't know why anyone would do this. Why on earth would you ever put your business in New York? It boggles the mind. Okay. Uh, BUSD is wholly owned and managed by Paxos, Zhao said. Binance USD is the seventh largest cryptocurrency. It's not a cryptocurrency. It's a US dollar centralized stablecoin with more than 16 billion in circulation, according to market tracker CoinGecko. Shout out CoinGecko. You got on here, boy. Not CoinMarketCap, but CoinGecko. Uh, CZ said Binance would continue to support BUSD for the foreseeable future and that he saw users migrating to other stable coins over time. That's a big statement. Why not do it right now? Why not migrate to Tether right now? Paxos said in a statement that it would stop issuing new Binance USD as of February 21st and would continue to support and redeem pre-existing Binance USD until at least February of 2024, so one year. This sounds major. They're going to wind it down within a year? That sounds pretty major to me. The New York DFS said it was, quote, monitoring Paxos closely to verify that the company can facilitate redemptions in an orderly fashion, subject to enhanced risk-based compliance protocols, end quote. The New York DFS clampdown, first reported by the Wall Street Journal, comes amid a wider crackdown on cryptocurrencies and Binance by U.S. regulators. The U.S. Justice Department is investigating Binance for suspected money laundering and sanctions violations. Reuters has previously reported. Binance has previously said it regularly works with regulatory agencies to address questions they may have. The Wall Street Journal, citing unnamed sources, reported on Sunday that the U.S. Security and Exchange Commission has told Paxos it plans to sue the company, alleging that Binance USD is an unregistered security. Bum, bum, bum. Dun, dun, dun. That's the big one right there. The SEC did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Quote, if BUSD is ruled as a security by the courts, it will have profound impacts on the crypto industry, <laughs> uh, on how the crypto industry will develop or not develop in the jurisdictions where it is ruled as such, CZ wrote on Twitter. No, that's wrong. I mean, the crypto industry, what does he mean by the crypto industry? I can see that. Like scams. Does he mean scams? So yeah, it'll be a profound impact on scams and where 
scams will be allowed to run wild and rampant and suck the livelihood out of people and Ponzi schemes that ruin people's lives and, and all of that stuff. And the scammers that promote false understanding of these topics. Yeah, that, that will go to other jurisdictions. Uh, but so far this nothing here. And I, I'm, I mean, I prefer a world where there's no jurisdictions at least, but uh, that's not the world we live in. But as a, say a big investor, say I was a multimillionaire billionaire type and I'm looking at these jurisdictions for which one do I want to go into? I'm going to go where my money is treated the best. Not like if I'm a billionaire, I don't need to go to places that I can not do KYC because I'm a billionaire. I can do whatever the hell I want. I'm just going to go to a place that treats me best for taxes, treats me best for rule of law. Like that's actually my money and my asset. you got to sue me. you got to do, you know, jump through the hoops of uh, trying to take it away from me. Not like in some places where they just complete, they can just, uh, you know, look at that guy from uh, Alibaba. What was his name? Jack Ma. They, he just like disappeared from the public for a few weeks and he showed up and he said he's stepping down as CEO. Like they can do that in other countries. Um, capital, th- this, this right here is not what CZ says that money will flee away from these, ju- from the U S jurisdiction. No, I think it's going to be the exact opposite. Um, and is that good or bad? Who are we to second guess the market? And if the market believes that the capital is treated best in the United States, it's going to come to the United States. It's, it's a, it's a valueless statement. So anyway, that's the end of this article. Hope you guys found that interesting. I am going to wrap it there for today. Thank you for joining me, everybody. My name is Ansel Lindner. This is Bitcoin and Markets. I do these on a weekday basis. Make sure you subscribe over on Twitter at Ansel Lindner or follow on Twitter, I guess, and uh, subscribe, like, comment over on YouTube, BTC Market Update. Trying to build that channel up. So if you guys can go over there and make sure you're subscribed, maybe drop a comment in in the live stream and on the other posts that would help me, you know, help the channel reach out and and find new uh, listeners. And to the guys on Telegram, thanks for hanging out. I'll be with you guys in just a minute. I'm going to continue it over there. So if you guys want to join the Telegram, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets, and you can join for these little bit of after minutes of the show here. So, all right, guys, have a good one. Peace. Peace.